0: Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Robert Shaw. G'day everyone, welcome to the Footyology Podcast. This is the round three review. After a big few days of footy, one game Thursday night, two games Friday night, the rest Saturday, Sunday. So much drama, so much incident, so much rivalry, Rob. We had a showdown, we had a derby, we had old Victorian rivalries revived. Uh, some dramatic comebacks, Uh, so much happened. What did you make of it all? Well, there were extremes, and we've
1: just sat through one of the extremes, which unfortunately, due to circumstances, saw one of the most lacklustre derbies we've ever seen. These used to be cracking games and uh, much-watched games, similar to the one in Adelaide. Now, that was an interesting game. That had a bit of spice in it, but um, the Hawthorne-Carlton game... As we thought, Ron would um, uh, would take top billing. I know there was an outstanding comeback by Bej- Geelong, but uh, I'm glad Hawthorne and Carlton lived up to every expectation
0: we had during the week. Certainly did. Uh, certainly opposite ends of the spectrum to the uh, showdown in the Derby oh, this yeah. year, and we'll talk about them in detail. I've got to say, the thing that really struck me as a theme, a recurring theme this weekend was the importance of momentum in uh, football currently. And just as an example of that, well, Collingwood-Geelong, Saturday night, the Pies, Saturday night, uh, seven goals in a 19-minute burst. Geelong promptly answering that with eight goals unanswered of their own, one at the end of the third and seven in the last. Outdone this afternoon by St Kilda, which slammed on 10 unanswered goals. Even Hawthorne in defeat in that game you mentioned against Carlton, six unanswered goals to come charging back into that contest. It's great to watch. I've got to tell you, though, I reckon it's also a bit of a vindication of the six-six-six rule, and it's taken a while. But uh, once the side gets a run on, it's getting a lot harder for uh, opponents to stem the, uh, the flow of goals, isn't it?
1: Well, they've got to make a choice because uh, you can't put two drop your two wingers back inside the opposition 50, move your half-forward flanks up to the wing and sort of concertina down run. You can't do any of that anymore. You'll get a warning and then you'll get a a free kick. Um, It was interesting how um, Hardwick uh, today tried to arrest that momentum. He tried to score, if that makes sense. Um, He kept Bolter forward, when others, you know, we'll discuss it later, I thought to arrest momentum, Bolter had to go back to a key position. Uh, King and maybe King's last quarter uh, showed that that's true. But um, to his credit, he stuck with his guns. He, He kept Bolter up forward because he knew one way to arrest momentum is to score at the other end. But in a couple of instances that we've seen, we've seen runs of seven, eight, nine goals. And um, it's because of six, six, six. So that's been a big tick. Maintain your positions at the uh, centre bounces and you can only adjust in play.
0: Well, it's good, uh, meaty discussion and uh, good to see the rule changes actually having some impact because there's been a lot that have had minimal impact for a number of years now, I reckon. But we'll talk about that as those games come up. Uh, Remember to Footyology Podcast, always proudly brought to you by Palmerbet. Get tackle-busting benefits this AFL season with your wagering at Palmerbet. Always remember, of course, to gamble responsibly. As I said off the top, so much happened over the last few days in a massive round three. Let's break it down. Game by game.
1: On Footiology, wrap around.
0: First game of round three was at Marvel Stadium on Thursday evening. A rematch, if you like, of the 2016 AFL Grand Final, Western Bulldogs and Sydney. Similar result too, not the margin, but the victor. Because that was the Western Bulldogs winning their first game of the new season. Inaccurate. But uh, weight of numbers prevailed in the end. 11 points over Sydney. Nine goals, 17-71, defeating the Swans, 9-6-60. The goal kickers for the Doggies, three to Waitman. Singles the rest for the Swans, two to Franklin, two to Haywood. Singles the rest for them. Bulldogs really uh, took the initiative from the start in this game. 3-3 to 1-3 at quarter time. Should have been further ahead at halftime, by which time the Swans had only managed one goal. Um, they had a much better third quarter of the Swannies and were right back in the hunt. Still three goals of difference at three-quarter time. Typical Sydney, they kept plugging away and actually got back within a goal uh, late in the piece, but a late goal to Bulldog skipper Marcus Bontempelli uh, sealed their fate and the Bulldogs thus winning their first game of 2022 and sydney uh their first loss of 2022 what'd you make of this one rob
1: well this was a game that we really were looking forward to Uh, it was a uh, a real pressure game a real defensive game and i just think the bulldogs throughout the week um decided to get down and really dirty against a team that thrives on the basics so I, I, there wasn't that many tactics floating around here because the Bulldogs had lost the contested ball against Carlton and the Demons. So I reckon Bevo just peeled it right back. He he won the clearances, he won the tackles, and he won the contested ball. So just, really, just
0: let me bring uh, – yeah. I've got some numbers there on those. So yeah, dog, dog, Doggie's won the clearances 41-32. Yep. I won the tackle count 65-49. I want to ask you about that like in a game that low scoring should the tackle camp be a bit higher than that you'd expect
1: Mate, we could do a program on my philosophies of tackling people say oh he's a good player he had 10 tackles but rowan you've got to understand where you tackle is hmm. it a defensive tackle where you're second to the ball do you come in late and get a stat or do you actually run someone down? dispossess them and create a turnover from the tackle. They're the ones that count. I think the Western Bulldogs were a little bit uh, each way. They wanted to make it a contest. So they applied really serious pressure and um, they got away with it. Uh, You know, Sydney threw everything at them. That's no surprise, of course, but um, the Bulldogs just peeled it all back and it was a desperate side, none more so than the improved intensity and the improved attack on the ball of Jamara Ugelhagen, who has been severely criticised for um, enormous talent, but maybe a laconic approach to intensity. He he did some terrific
0: one-on-one work. He was really good. And Cody Waitman was the other one who came good for them. I mean, they just haven't had much of a forward set up the first two games, have they? But Waitman with three goals was important. I thought the other big factor for them certainly in terms of turning that midfield output around was the ruckman tim english thought he was terrific 24 disposals he had eight clearances took eight marks 28 hitouts. so pretty important performance from him and that really helped the likes of dunkley liberatore McRae, hunter getting on top of the contest
1: and the dogs ruled the back half and what i mean by that they they pushed their numbers back they made it really difficult for for Sydney to score, hence we had uh Heaney with one goal, uh, who's been a goal machine the first couple of rounds, and Parker didn't hit the scoreboard. Mm. So, these dangerous, me well, when they're medium, they're probably six foot one, those blokes, but they didn't hit the scoreboard. It wasn't a high scoring game, obviously. Uh, you know, Sydney, what one goal, one goal three at half time, yeah, which is. Sydney's you love stats so I'm trying to match you mate it's Sydney's lowest halftime score since round four 2015.
0: Is that right yeah, yeah. That's, that's are that's, you impressed with that because that's no, not
1: I'm, usually my go
0: no, that's no, your I'm go. Very impressive no well done and uh Julie <laughs> Julie noted I'll tell you uh, now this isn't a stat this is an observation which is your go but yeah, yes, I, it I is. Think, I think we get so caught up sometimes with the the dogs midfield and their their run and carry and the handball game that we overlook the importance of their defensive game. Now, when uh, like for example, when they won the flag in two thousand sixteen, they're only I think the twelfth highest scoring side of of that season. So it's fine to have scoreboard potency, but their defensive qualities have got to be to the fore if they're to be a serious player and. Clearly, um, all those defensive qualities were, were lacking in the, uh, let's say, the second half of last year's grand final. They're probably lacking in the first two games this year. They really got that back on Thursday night, didn't they? Yeah, and like,
1: exactly, Aaron Norton, one goal, three mm. marks. Mm. So they did so well without exposing some of their strengths, but um, it was great to see them. They've realised that, gee, We've been a little bit soft. We haven't played to our strengths, and and to show even more, um, Sydney Sydney had fifteen shots for goal from fifty entries. So yeah. they didn't they didn't flood back, but they were so organised in their back fifty, um, and they went at uh, Sydney went at thirty percent efficiency. Uh, they just shut them down, and uh, and and as as you said. Waitman uh, one of the smallest players on the ground was probably the most effective so the tallest bloke on the ground Tim English 12 score involvements it's yeah. interesting they're going with the one Ruckman isn't it uh, it used to be Martin and English because they needed English to play in that forward pocket like um, oh well we saw it today Marshall and these blokes uh, Peter Wright if if we if if we Essendon if ever get a a key full forward right will play that, that deep game, but uh, English 12 score involvements and Waitman's important with three goals.
0: Well, maybe, maybe English is another of these Ruckman who thrives more on being the lone hand. And we've seen some good examples of that over the journey. Haven't we Todd Goldstein's the one who probably comes most to mind. Some Ruckman just need to be one out to almost to have the challenge and, um, yeah, well, look, we know English has got heaps of talent, sometimes appears to get outbodied a bit too easily and not perhaps exert enough presence. But um, I don't know, someone put something in the water at his place during the week because he, uh, he was just involved all over the place.
1: You've summed it up. It's called responsibility. And while, you know, the game we've just watched, Rowan, is the other side of the coin, the influence of Ryder and Marshall mm. teaming so well together this bloke needs responsibility. I'll just read out his stats. He had twenty-four disposals for a ruckman, eleven contested possessions, eight clearances for a big yep. fella, seven inside fifties. That's going at Paddy Cripps pace and ten hitouts to advantage. That's no. a let's let's see if we get a three voter on Brownlow night, mate.
0: Good I, win by the Dogs. I reckon a uh, fair chance he would be. Uh, certainly important in them getting that first win on the board. All right. Uh, that was Thursday evening at Marvel Stadium. Friday evening uh, pr- brought us a rare Friday night doubleheader. Let's have a chat about those two guys. <laughs> first leg of the big Friday night doubleheader was at the MCG, defending Premier Melbourne up against Essendon. Essendon faced with the unwanted prospect of a third successive loss to open a season for the first time since 1967. And that's exactly what transpired because in the end, they were rolled by 29 points by the Demons. A margin perhaps not reflective of how this battle went, but then again, in terms of early dominance, maybe it was either way, Uh, The Demons far too good in the end, Uh, certainly more accomplished on the skill front. And I think we might both have a bit to say about the Bombers' skills. Uh, 29 points, the margin. The final scores, Melbourne 14-15, 99, defeating Essendon 10-10, 70. The goals, four to Sam Wiedemann. Great effort, a late inclusion um, at the expense of Ben Brown, who has kept out with COVID protocols. Two goals each to Harms and Fritch, lively as ever, up forward. For Bombers, a bit of a lone hand up forward by two metre Peter. Peter Wright, really good up forward for the Dons. He kicked four, two to Jake Stringer, singles the rest. Well, midfield was certainly going to be a challenge for Essen and Rob with Wankford uh, already out and now Zach Merritt out for half a season. Uh, they took your advice, they um, threw a tag of sorts onto Petrarca, Andy McGrath getting the job there and he certainly reduced Petrarca's output, so a tick there. Unfortunately, that doesn't account for Melbourne. Also, having a Clayton Oliver, who had 38 disposals, uh, and Angus Brayshaw, who had 34 disposals, and out in the wing, and you talked about him in our preview, and didn't he do a great job? Ed Langdon finishing with 31 Disposals And Melbourne on the outside smashed Essendon, I thought, Rob. The uncontested ball, 239 Melbourne, 185 Essendon. Look, Essendon got close, uh, had a a slight sniff, but you always thought that Melbourne was going to prevail, and that's pretty much how it panned out, I thought.
1: Well, it did. It's one of those games that it's really hard. um, how, How big a tick do you get Essendon? And then you see some of those... Um, some of those numbers that Melbourne had, they had plus 22 inside 50s. Mm. Is it a great, were they pressurised possessions? You wouldn't have thought so with Brayshaw having, if, uh, Brayshaw was spending a lot of time running with Stringer.
0: Just quickly, that uh, it was actually t- plus 27, 66 to 39, the inside
1: 50s. So, uh, so if Epson, have they done a great job here or is this a, a lazy, wasteful Melbourne. Um, it's hard to get along their effort was there. The, the execution of Essendon was deplorable and I'll ask you your own opinion in the last two games Ron, They've had 144 turnovers Wow! they're going at 70 turnovers a game. Um, did it cost them the game on the weekend? Well, I'm a big rap for Redmond, but Essen were giving everything and got five points up. Turnover, another turnover.
0: Well, it's, it's def- defensive turnovers, Rob. And you had the, well, the, the back two. Back half of the,
1: turnovers, yeah, correct. And,
0: and two of the worst um, culprits on that score were Mason Redmond and Nick Hind. Uh, Nick Hine's
1: a rusher. Nick Hine's a warrior and a mm, rusher. Mm. And um, Dyson Heppel's kicking has gone off. Kelly's not a great kick down the back. So all of a sudden, Laverde's a beautiful kick, Ridley's a good distributor, but your key running players, your dash and run, um, they were responsible. Was there a lot of pressure from Melbourne? Not as much as they can apply. Um, uh, You know, you've touched on it. Um, Petrarca... That was interesting. If they let him off the hook, would they have won by 50? We're never going to know. McGrath was diligent. Could he be more useful elsewhere? There was a Caldwell Oliver type matchup, a bit of parish. That was a clear win to Oliver. And yet, this this determined team, Essendon, despite all this and despite the saturation of statistics in Melbourne's favour, hit the lead. Um, you could even say that, like Wright's, a much improved player. I wrote on Twitter, Rowan, that with a little bit of drizzle around and a lot of wind, um, he hasn't got a great record outdoors. He was superb against a very good fullback.
0: No, he, he's he's been particularly good. Uh, look, the thing this game showed up for me, and it's uh, as credit uh, as being a credit to Melbourne as a. Uh, a black mark on Essendon is, is that skill level. I mean, the, the, it was like chalk and cheese watching those two teams use the ball. Melbourne has got so many good users of the footy. They're precise, they're clean, they don't fumble. Essendon, I don't, I don't know if it is it, skills or decision making. Sometimes they panic a bit. Sometimes they are forced into areas they they don't want to go. They look inboard. They take risks that aren't there. Um, so it's, it's a 50-50, but um, that's perhaps a bigger concern because that goes to, I, I think, coaching and game plan as much as actual raw skill.
1: It's a great point point, a great discussion. We'll, do, we'll just go on for another couple of minutes. Is it Melbourne are confident in their game plan? They're, they back each other in and they, they take the first option. Essendon, indecisive. Are they unsure of the game plan or are they just really, really bad kicks? And you've touched on, is it system? Where to kick? How long to kick? Do we go to the corridor too often? Should we go up the line more often? Have we got a center Ford forward to go on? Is the pressure from Melbourne great or other teams? It's a bit of everything. They are very indecisive and very unsure of themselves. That can come back
0: to... Game plan, system, and understanding. I don't think they get the overlap happening often enough. I mean, how often do you see Eston players linking up, running off half back in that wave through the corridor? It's too much stop and prop, kicking sideways, then down the line to a contest. There's no momentum growing from that. Look, that might you know that might, as you know, that might be the exact opposite of what they're being coached to do, and they and they're uh, they just don't have the confidence to to follow the game plan, but uh, that too is a worry. Either way, w- we shouldn't discount Melbourne here. Now, Melbourne probably going in third gear for most of the night, but, uh, you know, they've ended up having a five-goal win and they can play a heap better than that, and they know that. So uh, reigning Premier, you know, it's a, uh, it's a good example of a really good side that isn't at 100% but still got the measure of its opponent.
1: Maybe Essendon's run and dash. One's in Ireland and one's at Carlton.
0: Uh, well, yeah, well it's, well, it's going a fair way back now, isn't it? But, uh, yeah, well, I guess uh, you're talking there about Connor McKenna and Adam Saad, uh, two guys who would both be uh, pretty handy in that respect. I want just quickly to finish off on this too. Uh, I wonder how soon we might have to have a difficult conversation about Dyson Hebble Rob, because he's, uh, he's an inspiring presence for Essendon, but uh, I think the end's coming quite quickly for him. Yeah, I'm surprised at that. He, I, I think
1: it was a terrific move last year to put him back, and he's set up play, um, defensively good, great organizer. But um, he's only a young man, Rowan. It's not as if he's, you know, he. Um, it, it's a concern. Hmm. He's definitely lost his confidence with his um, distribution he, of the ball. He's uh, an old, he's
0: an old young man, Rob. He's a he's a Dermot Burton young man. Is oh, that yeah. how
1: you see him, Ron? Yeah, yeah.
0: I, I think he looks older than his years. I do, and I think he's in in huge trouble. To be honest,
1: okay. Um, I hope he can get out. Watch his role. Um, he's not a winger anymore. He can't go with them nah. on the wing. He has to play. Look, he's not quick, but neither is Pendlebury. I, you know, he could. Can he? Oh, Penderbury's a great distributor of the yeah, ball. Yeah, so like that's the thing. If, you, if you're if yeah. you going to
0: set up playoff half back, you've got to be yeah. a real precise user of the footy, and he ain't. I oh, know.
1: Um,
0: all right, let's not make this the Essendon show. They full credit to Melbourne and three straight wins to start their premiership defence is... Just in- a
1: quick one, Rowan. Yeah. 30 seconds. Wiedemann or
0: Brown? Oh, it's, you've got to go with Brown. I, I think Brown's been terrific for Melbourne since coming back into that lineup, but but... Uh, that's good to keep the pressure on him. Um, maybe there's a way they can manufacture a spot for both of them. It hasn't been the case thus far, but plenty of time to do some experimenting, I would have thought.
1: Yeah, put your man Luke Jackson
0: on the bench. That'd be a good idea, wouldn't it? <laughs> no, <laughs> no. Perhaps, perhaps not. Uh, it's, good to, it's a good problem to have, though, certainly. All right. Uh, that was a 29-point win to Melbourne. That wasn't the only Friday night action, though, because unusually, there was another game going on in Adelaide. It was a showdown, and boy, was it a corker. Well, wrote a piece uh, for ESPN and for Footyology during the week about the game's five best rivalries. We had, uh, well, I had the showdown at number one, and uh, wasn't that, um, what's the word, prescient of me, Rob, because this game absolutely underlined the fact that this is the game's number one rivalry Uh, the closest showdown of the 51 we've had we've had uh, other close results of course but not one decided after the bell that's what happened in this epic which was finally won by Adelaide after the siren courtesy of that man Jordan Dawson ironically or not ironically but um, what's the word Uh, I can't think of the right word but both clubs are after him the Crows got him and uh, wow he helped him win a showdown against the old enemy. Amazing finish. Adelaide coming from behind. Uh, Himmelberg got him within a point with, uh, I think, three minutes 40 left on the clock. Travis Boke had a chance to win Port the game. He missed. They put him two points up with a minute and a half left. Big, what looked to be, match-saving mark by Trent McKenzie for Port. And then inexplicable hit by Sam Mays on Lockie Murphy out on the 50, just didn't need to go in that hard, gave away the free. It was Dawson uh, who took the kick because Murphy was too hurt to take the kick. And even the kick, Rob, the kick was in doubt. It started outside the right-hand goalpost and just drifted in beautifully like a lovely little gentle outswinger um, bowled from, uh, I'm not sure what the prevailing end would be at Adelaide Oval, but uh it was uh, had a beautiful little bit of drift on it, and Adelaide supporters went mad. The final scores Adelaide 15 6. Accurate kicking helps again 96, defeating Port Adelaide 13 14 92. The goals four to Gallant, and uh, he making his presence felt important performance from him. Four to Himmelberg, good effort by him too. All this with no Tex Walker. Tex who? two to Dawson, including that match winner. And for Port, well, they had a key forward who up, stood up very well as well. And that was Todd Marshall with five goals, two to Georgiades, two to Mays and singles the rest. Uh, gee, this was a fantastic game to watch, Rob.
1: Yeah, it was. And um, of, of course, um, I want to remind you of... Um... A great quote from the late, great Mike Williamson during the 1966 grand final. What did he say, Ron? I tipped this. Correct. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> um, why did I tip this? I, I just reckon Porter Wobbly. Yeah. And I reckon, um, despite losing Rory Sloan, um, you know, to get Laird back and have that group in the middle, Laird, Crouch, and Keys, it actually sounds like a group, doesn't it? Uh, <laughs> Morris Cotton and Keys, yeah, yeah. but uh, they were terrific. Um, they were down 5-3 to 2-1 early, but after halftime, they've kicked 8-3 to 4-7, and you could just see um, the crowd lifting. The crowd over there, I've, I've experienced it. It's great to lift you, but when you're down, you can sense it, and it goes through the player group, and it just put the pressure on Port Adelaide, despite the fact, you know, you mentioned it, there was also no Charlie Dixon, no Taylor Walker. So they cancelled out. Wasn't it great to see a couple of young blokes stand up? Luke Gallant. Now, I apologise to our listeners. The name Gallant is famous at St Bernard's, right? Luke Gallant was, a, was All-Australian, a wonderful player. Has to be related because the kid went to St Bernard's. So I'd like to do... Um, I'm, uh, I'm teaching there at the moment. So I'll do a little bit of homework. But I know Lachlan... And he's kicked four, and of course, Todd Marshall's got
0: five goals. So there's a couple of young blokes standing up in the goal area. A couple of things really worry me about Port. Uh, one is their midfield depth, or lack thereof, so often comes down to Wines and Boak, and I felt like that was the case again. The second, there's something about their psychological profile. They they panic. They just you, you, That's what you, I said. You, yeah, yeah, you can never count on them. They're warriors. Uh, they are warriors. So, yeah. so they never look safe even when they've got a reasonable lead. And alternately, when they get jumped, uh, i.e. last year's preliminary final, uh, it can all fall apart very quickly. Uh, look, Ken Hinkley, it, it seems amazing to me that a guy that has coached aside side to a top four finish uh, the last two seasons would be perceived as being under pressure. But, boy, the... The Jungle Drums are starting to beat pretty hard. They're really unhappy, the Port people, and as they should be with a 0-3 start to the season.
1: See, so it's it's cumulative. People look at it and say it's only round three, and they say that about our team, Rowan. But, you know, you've got to go back to the final. If they You know, they got rolled by, was it the Cats, by 71 points? Ah, uh, Doggies. Uh, the Doggies, sorry, apologies. 70 points, and then to go into the season and kick seven goals, 10 goals and 13, 30 goals at 10 a game. You talk about the midfield, uh, it's not getting the service. They're relying on this young kid to get Gray's out and uh, obviously Dixon's out. So two of their key uh, forward targets are out, but they're up against a very, very young side. And I think you summed it up, the closer Adelaide got, the psychology of Port was to... They they freeze up, don't they? They're they're a very interesting side to watch. And now, guess what? They play Melbourne. They come to Melbourne to play Melbourne.
0: Well, it's not just Melbourne. I'm just having a look at their their next month or so. And after that, they've got Carlton at the MCG. And obviously, given Carlton's resurgence, that's going to be a real challenge. They've got West Coast. Um, They've got St Kilda. And that one is up in Cairns, interestingly. So uh, you know the way St Kilda's going, that's not going to be easy. And then they have got the Bulldogs, so they could conceivably arrive uh, at the end of round eight with something like a, a one seven, you know, even even a two um, a two six scoreline. They and they would be in real trouble with their finals chances, just about shot. Anyway, let, let's let's give some kudos to the victor though, Adelaide. Um, They've been on a steady growth curve under Matthew Nix. Went from, what, three wins to seven wins last season. I think uh, so far this season you'd give them a a pretty decent uh, tick, wouldn't you?
1: It's pretty good when you're only in front for eight minutes and three seconds and you don't stop believing and you get a sniff and then these young players lift. They were really well guided by Laird, Crouch and Keys, as I said, but it takes these young kids to believe.
0: She's I wish and- you hadn't said, don't stop believing. Reminded me of that terrible Journey song, but even worse, that terrible car ad where the girl goes, where's Bonbon?" Oh, bon? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. Elliot Himmelberg, 23 minutes, 30 seconds and 25, 38. They were gone until that. They just kept pushing and pushing and believing and putting pressure on. And as I said, the psychology of Port at this stage is very, very vulnerable. And if Melbourne went through the motions on the weekend against Essendon, with the greatest respect to Essendon, um, they might be ready to do something like what Brisbane did to North. So look out.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, look up forward for the Crows too. I mean, Gallant and Himmelberg... Eight goals between them, two pretty raw emerging key position players. So, uh, look, the developmental curve, I think, going very, very nicely for the Crows and uh, they'll be absolutely wrapped. Nothing better over there than getting a victory over the old enemy and uh, that one is one that will uh, certainly be a victory for the ages. That was the Friday night doubleheader. Plenty of action to come on Saturday. Let's talk about those ones. Saturday Twilight Giant Stadium saw the two relative newcomers to the AFL, Greater Western Sydney and Gold Coast do battle when I say relative newcomers. Both been in there over a decade now, um, but similar sort of scoreline. That was a 26-point victory to GWS, 12-11, 83 to Gold Coast, 8-9, 57. Uh, Pretty deceptive. Uh, 26 point victory, we must say, given that Gold Coast kicked the last four goals of this game. So that lead was out over six goals, three of those last four goals going to Mabi or Chole. The other uh, point, probably just worth noting here too, is the crowd, 4,014 at Giants Stadium. Ooh, that is disappointing, I think, given the Giants have been pretty good for a few years. Quick one there, Rob, before I give the details.
1: Well, we're sending a cheerio to Tony Cochran, of course, who will be voting against the Tasmanian entry into the (laughs) AFL. But I can tell Tony that there's two famous clubs in Tasmania, North Launceston and and the Scottsdale Football Club. And when they met at York Park Oval through the halcyon days of the 70s, 80s and 90s, there were more than 4,000 people upstairs in the grandstand at the aftermatch.
0: Yeah, not good. Not good. Um, All right, let's talk goal kickers. GWS, three to the other Himmelberg. Harry Himmelberg, been around a bit longer than his brother. Two to Green, two to Hogan, singles the rest, and four Gold Coast. Uh, The two key forward recruits sharing six of the eight goals, three to Levi Kasbold, and three to Chull. Look, this was a non-event, to be perfectly honest. GWS really... Not making it inevitable. They were four goals up at quarter time, but 5-4 to 1-4. And it just had that feel about it. You, you knew that, uh, well, you just felt like Gold Coast weren't much of a chance of coming back. And that's pretty much how it played out. GWS uh, needed to show a bit after a really disappointing effort last week against Richmond, particularly midfield. And notable that their midfield really stood up in this game. Taranto, terrific. Uh, perhaps most importantly, co-captain Stephen Cornelio. He was terrific. Uh, important tagging job done by Lockie Ash on Took Miller, who was held to just 17 disposals. So big tick there for him and for GWS coach Leon Cameron. Lockie Winfield. Winfield. Whitfield. Um, have a Winfield. Uh, his ball use uh, on point as usual. Braden Proust, the big man, getting a chance and doing pretty well. And Hogan. Um, having his moments up forward as well. They did it on the bit, basically, Robin. Yeah, they did. We want to see Gold Coast improve, but uh, this was disappointing by them because they never really looked like bridging the gap at any stage.
1: Well, unfortunately, um, I did tip this Not, I gave them a real chance, given um, GWS's form and the confidence they got with their younger players, um, their efforts against Melbourne, I thought were very meritorious so i gave them an outside chance but uh first five goals of the game and 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 then you project your thinking forward 51 points up with 15 minutes to go and um they just put the i'm not being disrespectful this is fact they put the queue in the rack they and uh the gold coast kicked the last four to make it appear on paper uh 20 what was it 20 26 Six. points yeah. So um, it, 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 that is the real version of junk time goals because they were beaten in every facet of the game. I'm glad you mentioned Ash because that was a discussion we had last week. Um, and this was, I think, a traditional heavy tag. It wasn't your accountable tag like, um, like a McGrath-Petrarca. This was Stop to miller and they cut off the head of the snake, and it looks like um, Gold Coast weren't up for the fight. Well, I watched the game, and they were not up for the fight at all. So this is a significant step back for them um, in in a battle of the two
0: uh, two new clubs. I guess what, what would uh, disappoint uh, Coach Stewart G the most is that uh, Matty Rao playing back to playing some really good footy. He was terrific for him. Weller was was really good for him. Look, Casbolt and Chole have kicked six between them. So, you know, their key midfielders play well, or not enough of them, clearly, Uh, converting goals, but just not enough um, passengers on board with the effort, Rob. And Gold Coast is a side that can't afford that effort to be anything less than 100%. And um, disappointingly and worryingly, uh, it looked like that was the case in a game which, given GWS's lack of form, the previous week. I think Gold Coast should have seen themselves as some sort of winning chance, but it just didn't look like that from the moment this game started.
1: I know you've touched on it. Well, exactly. And that's why we're um, we're pretty disappointed. Um, but you did touch on it and it's been a discussion about three captains, which we, uh, you and I being traditionalists, we probably disagree with Kelly, Coniglio and Toby Green. But for some reason... It has injected a little bit of uh, enthusiasm, responsibility in form into Coniglio. He was up against a reasonable midfield, but a young midfield, 32 disposals, went out over 70% efficiency, 13 contested, 10 clearances. So he's getting in and mixing it, eight inside, 50s and five tackles. That's nearly the perfect midfield
0: game, Rowan. Good to see him turning around. He's a universally popular guy, very, very likable, unassuming guy who's been doing it for a long time now. Uh, gee, I remember watching him play in a premiership with Swan Districts at the age of 16. That was my first glimpse wow. of him. It's a long time ago now. But uh, starting to turn around after what's been a really nightmarish couple of years. So uh, good to see, and uh, good to see JWS turn their form around after what was a pretty ordinary display against the Tigers in round two. All right, uh, that was the Saturday Twilight game. We had two games on Saturday evening. MCG Saturday evening saw Collingwood having won its first two games, take on Geelong, who were one and one. And boy, talk about swings and roundabouts and shifts of momentum. This game had it all. Nine goal third term for Collingwood. And they lost the game. And I reckon that's happened very often. In fact, they led by 37 points just before three-quarter time. But Geelong storming home in that last term with 7-2 to just one point. The Cats prevailing by 13 points. The final score, 16-8, 104, defeating Collingwood 13-13, 91. The goal kickers, 6 to Big Jezza Cameron. Uh, three of them coming in that crucial last quarter. He was a powerhouse up there for the cats. Three to Tom Hawkins, singles the rest, and four of the pies. Two to Majacek, two to Cameron, two to Elliot, singles the rest. Well, uh, half time, Rob. Uh, Geelong led by five points somehow. That was despite Collingwood having dominated the inside 50s, 35 to just 19. So Long It only had 19 inside 50s at half time, but led by five points. And you thought, well, Cats maybe smarter, boy, so maybe that's going to prevail. Well, Collingwood, boy, did they play some exhilarating footy in that third quarter. They kicked seven goals from 11 inside 50s in the first 19 minutes of that third term. It was electric to watch, and uh, there was no, it looked like Geelong were done for all money, credit where it's due. Now, Rob, I know you had a lot of points to make here too. One, one thing that really struck me in the last quarter about Geelong, we've been crying out for young, young, enthusiastic talent to come to the top at Geelong to just change things up a bit. I reckon we saw three really good examples of that coming to the fore in the last quarter, one of them. And, yes, I have got a vested interest. I've known this guy since he was a little kid, and he's a ripper, Max Holmes. Good. But his last quarter was terrific. I thought Brandon Parfitt's last quarter was terrific. I thought Brad Close's last quarter was terrific. Yes, Cameron was good. Yes, Guthrie was good. Yes, Selwood and Dangerfield good. But those young guys jumping on was huge for Geelong, and I reckon Chris Scott will be as happy about that as actually getting the points in the end.
1: Oh, it's a beautiful balance and what we've been crying out for now for a couple of years. And you just wonder sometimes, and I've been involved in the same process, a whole new assistant group of assistants come in and it, and it can reinvigorate or re, recharge the senior coach I've of witnessed that firsthand. In the last quarter, they had twice the clearances, 11 in more inside 50s. They had the big fellas up, the, the old saying, they don't get any smaller, the big fellas. Cameron's fitness was unbelievable, his capacity to run. And it was an interesting press conference I watched by Craig McCrae and good on him, and it makes some sense to me. He conceded he plays a high-taxing game. It takes a lot out of his side, and they've done it brilliantly. They have done it amazingly, but... Um, it, it just might have checked in a little bit towards the end of the game, um, despite the fact that it's an amazing game. Um, Collingwood had nearly 60 inside 50s to 47 for the total of the game. Um, and the last thing I want to say is uh, it just had sensational matchups. And one thing we did think would happen, and it did, was that Maynard went back. He picked up Dangerfield when Dangerfield went forward and just gave him crips crisp onto the ball um it was exhilarating performance and uh while we haven't got the notes in front of us it's called the premiership quarter and for a team to kick nine a was a big tick but how they lost after that is anyone's guess well it's not a guess we know but that would rarely happen Ron, because that usually finishes an opposition doesn't it
0: yeah, yeah. well, um, perhaps you know, perhaps the bar has been raised on that and uh, I think that would be a good thing. It certainly makes for interesting games of footy that are, are never over. But one thing I would say about the Pies, yeah, look, um, maybe some conditioning costs them in the end, maybe some uh, lack of experience or capacity to close a game down got them in the end. Similarly with Geelong, one thing that always uh, baffles me with Geelong is when, when they are up against it, as in that third quarter, you look at them and you think, "Oh, they've, they've got to be gone. They're slow. They can't move the ball. Where's the spark coming from?" But they still have that capacity to turn around and almost flick a switch and play a high octane brand of footy, which inevitably makes you think, "Well, why don't they do that more often?" Um, I don't know. Easier said than done, I think. But look, are we it-
1: seeing? Uh, it's been it's been a part of the game, as you know. But are we seeing definitive momentum swings, as you 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 mentioned in the intro. You know, um, you know, we've just finished watching a game where St Kilda were twenty-five points down and kicked eight unanswered, eight unanswered against Richmond.
0: Well, I, I, I one one thing I do think is that the six 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 rule was coming into play here because when you do kick a goal, you can't just you know stack your back line and try and halt a run that way. And I think that's helping sides maintain momentum. Uh, don't forget the grand final last year, of course. That's the best example you can think of. But So just, um, just
1: say that again, Ron. So you, you've had three kicked onto you. And in yeah. the old days, we used to put two half forwards down into our back line. So we'd yeah. have eight backs and we'd quell it that way. We'd take a mark. And we keep the ball for the next half hour. So is yep. that is that what you mean? Because of the six six six, it's still
0: one on one. Yeah, you can't you can't do yep. it. It's taken away one way of stemming the bleeding, and it, it, it's uh, up the ante in terms of winning the clearance, especially the centre clearance, which I, I, again, kudos to the rulemakers. I, I think it's a it's a good one for them. Look, one thing I say about the pies. You know they'll be disappointed to lose, but I don't reckon their supporters will be too disappointed because shouldn't be. Apart from anything else, uh, gee, it's good to watch. You know they, they Collingwood at times the last couple of years have been painful to watch. Uh, you know, painfully slow moving the ball forward. Um, you know this is high risk, high reward. But uh, when it comes off, and not only is it good for the fans, it's good for the players. It keeps the players alive and interested. Rob, and that wasn't always the case with Collingwood towards the end of last season. No, and, and
1: you know, this, I tell you, was really exciting. Quainer, in the first, he was just sensational. His ability to intercept marks, so he's good on the good in the air and he's great on the ground. But the battle I liked was uh, the one-on-one battle, the highlight of the day for me, was blokes playing 140 metres apart. How both teams used Stuart and Hal was intriguing. I wasn't in there live, which I hate being, because I think TV's a poor substitute for seeing behind the play. And, and that's a classic for people. If you want to watch how these clubs coach and how players organise themselves, folks, you've got to get a ticket and go and watch how they use Stuart and how Collingwood used how. It, it's, it, it's a real game of chess, how they create space for themselves, how they drop off stoppages, how they fill gaps. And unfortunately, no one talks about it on TV, of course, um, because it's not entertainment. And um, and it, it was a battle within a battle, and, and both were brilliant for their own sides.
0: Well, yeah, no, good good spot. Not only um, it's not just about it not being entertainment; it's uh, the TV, unfortunately, can't picture up uh, can't picture adequately how the two guys concerned are evolve because they're too far apart. I mean, this is, you know, the playing field is so big that uh, live TV coverage just never does the game justice, unfortunately. But this was a corker of a game, played in front of almost 53,000 people. And uh, I think both sides will be pretty pleased with the outcome in in a sense. Geelong to get the points and uh, hang in there at 2-1. But Collingwood also, they have showed that um, they are going to be a lot better than some of us. Uh, Yes, I put my hand up. Uh, thought they might be in 2022. <laughs> right. Yeah, no. Well, it's got a long season. Let's see how it fans out. That well, was the, the Pies have got the Eagles next week, yeah.
1: so they'll bounce back. And the Cats, where are the Cats, Ron? I think I'll just find this. Oh, they've got the Lions down at
0: uh, the Cattery.
1: The Cattery down yep. at Cario Bay,
0: and as of Rex course, would say. and that was a game uh, Brisbane famously. Should have won last year, but for a uh, missed free kick in the goal square to Zach Bailey. All right. That was the first of a Saturday night games. It was a ripper and it was tight. The second one was a ripper for one side and it definitely wasn't tight. At the Gabba, we saw an absolute shellacking in our first 100 point plus win of the season. Brisbane getting over the line by a cool 108 points against a hapless North Melbourne. The final scores: 23-18, 156, defeating North 7-6, 48. What is that? 41 scores to 13. That is a smashing in anyone's language. Nine of those goals for Brisbane coming in a procession of a final quarter. The goal kickers... And there were 11 individually. Um, that'll please coach Chris Fagan, as will the names alongside the major goal kickers five to Lincoln McCarthy, four to Zach Bailey. Boy, he's a really, really good player. Three to Joe Danaher, two each to Cameron Lyons McStay. What about that array of goal kickers? For the ruse, just one multiple goal kicker, two to Larky, singles the rest. Good players, well, they had them everywhere, Brisbane. None better than skipper Dane Zorco coming off half back. He was terrific. That looks like an inspired uh, change of position for him. McCarthy, great up forward. Bailey just going from strength to strength. Adams, good down back. Uh, Lyons, good coming off a of flank as well. Uh, another defender in Andrews, really good up forward, where North just kept bombing the ball for very literal award. That is, uh, Rob, Brisbane's biggest win and high score they've kicked since round 16, 2007, when they beat Carlton by 117 points. And that was a game which saw, this is how long ago it was, that saw the sacking of Dennis Pagan as Carlton coach. Um, Just on north and uh, that ball use, yeah, very poor. They won the clearance count, but uh, that probably only underlines further how poorly they used the ball. I just kept bombing it to uh, Marcus Adams and Harris Andrews, who just picked them off and launched an inevitable Brisbane counterattack and score. This was a good side playing a not very good side and uh, with ugly results, Rob.
1: Very good point you make about winning the clearances and hacking it inside 50 with no system. That We talked about Tom Stewart and Jeremy Howe. They're actually very lucky that those two weren't playing for the Brisbane Lions because back line set up for that put enough pressure on their entries are terrible and you just rebound and I know I don't want to turn it into the the Essendon but you know Essendon used to be with Fletcher and Wellman playing together quite comfortable to lose the clearances not deliberately but it set up the rebound out the other side And not only did they not find their targets North Melbourne, they were very, very slow to put on any defensive pressure on the outside run. There was actually none. It's 78 to 40 inside 50s. They lost the contested possession by 38. And wait for this stat, Brisbane Lions, I think it's a world record. You can't play like this in the AFL if you're North Melbourne. Twenty six marks inside fifty. Wow! <laughs> like if you get five to ten, yeah, yeah. you think, "Oh, that's good." You know, you've yeah. Joe. there's twenty six marks. So, um, I'll go back to it. It's his second year. He did a good job last year. He set, but I'm not sure. Oh well, did he do a good job? Um, uh, you've got to be good at something, Ron. Even if you're on the bottom. And, and all the press and all the stuff on social media, what's, what are we doing? North Melbourne people, what's our trademark? Are we a, a high-flying, uh, exciting team going into Zerhar and Larky and Stevenson? Or are we defensive side that puts the ball in our 50 and keeps it in there and is defensively strong? Um, if, if you asked the independents, we don't know. And if you ask North Melbourne people, they've got to have a trademark. You've got to stand for something because at the moment they look like they're trying to do everything, but nothing's working. And they got a lesson in from a real professional
0: side. Incidentally, talking about uh, world record, I don't know what the highest ever inside 50s recorded is, um, but 78 is a lot. <laughs> I don't know do you remember every any I should have looked that up but uh... a
1: shining light they've got a shining light Horn Francis 21 disposals seven clearances keep building on that yeah they'll get I hope they get Cunnington back they'll get Thomas back so there's a bit to work for in that midfield but why why you haven't got some personnel out a lot of teams have got personnel missing what you're looking for and it's the best word I can come up for, you're looking for a trademark. Oh, I see what they're doing. I can see they're owning that part of the ground. I can see that they're great at applying pressure inside 50. They're running off halfback is a highlight. They're Mm. not much good, but they might have one or two things that that, that people can actually see. And that would be my observation, not a criticism. It's a pure observation of what I'm looking for. I've been there myself in my first year at Fitzroy, and I know what it's like. It's bloody hard, yeah, right, real hard. But you 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 gotta have something you're gonna hold on to, till till the sun comes out behind the clouds.
0: Speaking of which, uh, for Brisbane, um, they haven't been terrific to start the season, and yet uh, here they are, three zip. Um, had to do it the hard way in that first game against Port did it hard getting over and last week, you know, a mile off their best. But uh, having survived that, uh, they flicked the switch and this is exactly where you want to be. Look, the thing about them is, um, above and any anything else, surely, is their potency. I mean, they were the heaviest scoring side in the comp last year, 23-18, 11 individual goal kickers. They've got so many guys capable of kicking bags of goals. That, to me, sets them apart from just about all the other clubs. I mean, it's not just Joe Danaher. Um, it's not just Charlie Cameron. Most clubs have got maybe two guys that can kick a bag of goals. They've got McCarthy capable of kicking bags of goals. What did they, so, they kick between them, those two? Five and four? Well, McCarthy and Bailey, nine between Nine. Them. Uh, and Charlie Jim, Cameron's kicked two, six. He's thank goodness. And Danaher, three. And, and McStay, two. You know, I mean, they've got goal kickers coming out there proverbial. And that's a massive plus for them. Um, their back line looks really solid and reliable now. I think Adams um, probably a really important addition to that mix, maybe not given the, the credit he deserves and uh, helping give Harris Andrews a real chop out. So um, they're interesting, Brisbane, because they've been top four for three years now and sort of fallen over at the final hurdle. But geez, I, in terms of uh, weaponry uh, for a premiership assault, uh, they've got it, haven't they?
1: Oh, they certainly have, and um, I tipped them to go one uh, – did you? No, you weren't sure, were you? you no, nah, I've
0: got I've got them yeah. down a little bit.
1: Yeah, I'm not – I, well, we'll learn a lot more next week. Um, Brisbane get on the plane to go down to Geelong, and um, let's see a reaction from North Melbourne, because they should be in the contest at the small SCG uh, against Sydney. So – um that's next two sides uh competitors
0: all right uh, so there it was a can massive- i just say something yes well, you and i watch
1: football and we're not thinking six weeks down the track we comment on the game we're watching mm-hmm. we don't like we're not uh, it's hard to be constructive when you're looking for something you always what we're talking about on these sort of shows is what we see mm-hmm. that's all we go on isn't yeah. it yeah we're not potting north melbourne I'm making the point is I'd like to see something that's improved.
0: I I, I think it's a really good observation. I think most North Melbourne fans would agree with you 100%. Yeah.
1: So, you know, we're not looking at round six when we get our players back. We're looking at this particular game against Brisbane at the Gabba and what happened there and why
0: it happened. Make no apologies, Rob. We are hard hard, (laughs) but fair on the (laughs) footyology podcast. All right. That was the uh, Saturday games wrapped up and three to finish off round three on the Sabbath. First game on Sunday afternoon at the MCG, two great rivals of the 1980s, both undefeated. Boy, they turned the clock back and they certainly did turn the clock back because this was a cracker of a game in the end. Uh, won by the Blues by a solitary point, eleven eight seventy four, 11-8-74, defeating Hawthorne, eleven seven 7 Three goals to Silvani, two to Harry Mackay, singles the rest for the Hawks, two to Moore, singles the rest. Well, talk about momentum again, Rob. Seven goals to one in the first quarter from the Blues. They led this game at one stage. I think the lead might have got out over 40 points. Hawthorne just nudging and scratching and scrapping their way back bit by bit, had clawed that difference back to about three goals at three-quarter time. And then the Hawks went for it in the last quarter. Uh, a comeback, well, they had to shut off Carlton's uh, great forward marking assets of Curno uh, and Mackay. That they did. Jath uh, particularly good. Uh, Warple, a tag on the Cripps that reduced Crips's output um, they just ground away the Hawks and they got inspired, hit the front and uh, this would have been a win for the ages but credit to the Blues too because they found something at the death, uh, finally it was a goal of Jack Silvani his third to um, restore the lead for a final time for them uh, so those final scores uh, – no, I've done the final scores, haven't I? Yeah, 11 getting, each. Getting too enthusiastic here. But great comeback by the Hawks, Rob, considering uh, Carlton's dominance early. They had five goals from 10 clearances in the first quarter. The inside 50s were 17-8 their way. They'd won the yeah. center bounce clearances 7-2. The big forwards were on fire. Uh, but the Hawks found a way back into the contest.
1: Yeah, they were uh... – well, it's what we hoped for and what we predicted. I think um, we both agreed that um, to come from where they were last year and even years before, to be a legitimate match of the day, um, it was just a fantastic performance. And the, both teams didn't let us down. It is very unusual if you kick seven, we spoke about nine in the premiership quarter and they lost. It, it's even more unusual if you get away to a great start Usually, what happens, you know, they've kicked seven, 143 to 139. Generally, what happens during the course of a game, the momentum will change. And a Hawthorne came at them, but most of the time, the team that has the great first quarter will find a way to win because the effort's too much. And if you notice it, I ran out of pen, Rowan, because I said they've kicked three in a row, they've kicked five out of the last six. They've kicked six out of the last seven. They've kicked seven out of their last eight. They've kicked eight out of the last nine. And I'm thinking, slow down a little. But it just took that five minutes by Carlton just to win some loose football. I think Sam his experience just got his hands on the ball in the right spots at the right time and just steadied the ship because, um, um you know, the momentum changed alarmingly. Uh, Wingard got a hold of but Gunston got a hold of it. Mitch Lewis had been held really well held all day, uh, you know, got a couple of goals. So the momentum change came at one stage, but they were still 30 down. It was it was, a, it was a great movie and a great book, A Bridge Too Far. It was just a bridge too far, wasn't it? Despite the passion and competitiveness of Hawthorne.
0: Look, hats off to the Blues. I mean, the the areas they've been susceptible in, Michael Voss has worked very hard to address. They are a a harder at it team. There's no doubt about that. And again, you know, as much as the spotlight always goes on Mackay and Kurnow and the spectacular, I really like the work of those little guys, Owies and Durden and those guys up forward. They're applying pressure brilliantly to opponents. I think that's really good. They have a harder edge Mentally, I think, you know, could they have turned around a a situation that had slipped to the extent it did in this game prior to this year? I tend to doubt it. Another one, just getting their hands on the footy more. You know, the possessions today, uh, Doherty, 33. Walsh, 32. Cripps 31. Kennedy, 30. His emergence is proving crucial for them. Uh, Hewitt as well, coming across from Sydney. He's been important for them. Now, all those areas they've needed to address, they have addressed, and they are a much better side for that. And uh, here they are at the start of a season, three and zip. And uh, just to the record, I think the stats on sides at start of season, three zip, uh, something like 90-something percent of them, I think, in recent times have ended up making the final. So uh, they couldn't have started this campaign under Michael Voss any better. But ditto for the Hawks too. I mean, uh, look, you, you don't like to lose, but pretty honourable defeat given that first quarter. And uh, I'm sure Sam Mitchell will be accentuating the positives in this game. None of the least to them, haven't they got a couple of great uh, agile athletic and rebound defenders in Jath and Sicily, who, interestingly, how often do two key position size defenders end up as the leading two ball winners for a side? jath 27 disposals sicily 24 Wed hawthorne's disposal winners i reckon that happens very often
1: and one of the highlights for me was number one harry morrison you know a bit of wing bit of half back he gives him great run unfortunately they lost scrimshaw with injury he was playing his 50th game he's been critical but as you said ron this young energetic back line led by jath um, they don't know how to stop running they do. They keep believing. You, you, you spoke about um, Essendon's lack of belief in running and lack of enterprise. These te- these young blokes are at the other end of the spectrum. So part of their comeback wasn't so much based on technique. It was based on belief and will and keep doing it and keep going. You never know what might happen. And then they got those three goals. Bruce got a couple. Gunston got one. And it, and it's. It's back to under 30 points, and you give yourself a chance.
0: Well, two sides that uh, I reckon are going to have a fair bit of say in what happens in 2022. Uh, The Hawks, um, exciting start to Sam Mitchell's tenure, and the Blues under Michael Weisswell. You can certainly smell what they're cooking now. A lot of excited Carlton people, and good on them.
1: Yeah, no sad. He pulled out?
0: Yeah, he you, with, did. He did.
1: And and no McGovern, who, who's been, well, I was going to say a revelation, but whether a McGovern's a revelation, but I think he's really knuckled down and focused. So they're two key players out of that side. And we forget that Jones disappeared before the start of the year. There were a few so-called
0: holes in
1: in that back line. So well done to the Blues. They held them to 11 goals.
0: Well, speaking of the back line too, Jacob Wietering, outstanding oh. today. Took the the match-saving mark. Mark, and, uh, oh, gee. He's uh, an impressive young guy too. I've seen him interviewed a few times recently, including after the game today. He just speaks so well. He's a, a genuine uh, leader of that side now. So uh, well done, Jacob Wietering, a, a terrific player for the Blues. Been they both
1: don't sport. make the eight, do they? Could they
0: actually? Oh, you know, I reckon Carlton Carlton, odds are No, I meant both together. Can they Cornella a spot in the eight? Be unlikely, be unlikely, but who knows? Stranger things have happened. We've seen uh, three changes. I don't know whether it is strange. Well, three changes have been routine for the eight in recent years. All right, we're going to move on. That is the first of the Sunday games, a one point win to Carlton in an epic. The second Sunday game was across town at Marvel Stadium. St Kilda played Richmond in the annual Maddie's match. That's a fantastic fundraising initiative for research into bone marrow disease. Of course, the Rewalt family passionate campaigners uh, for that. Uh, Of course, Maddie Rewalt tragically passing a few years ago, and uh, this has been a, a it causes close to a lot of hearts in the football world, and I'm sure they've raised a terrific amount for that again uh, today. But on the field, uh, an amazing game, this one, because uh, for much of it, Richmond looked like they were going to prevail. In fact, the Tigers leading uh, comfortably by 25 points as late as the 16-minute mark of the third quarter, which uh, may surprise you if you then look and see the final scoreline, which gave a win to the Saints by no fewer than 33 points. They kicked the last... No, they didn't. They kicked 10 goals out of the last 11 of this game. Shea Bolton getting one right at the death, but uh, a fantastic finish to this game by the Saints. The final scores, 18-9, 117 St Kilda, defeating Richmond 13-6, 84, the goal kickers, four to Big Max King, all of them in the last quarter. He just took this game apart. Three to Membry, two to Butler, two to Long, two to Marshall, and four the Tigers, three to Bolton, three to Matt Parker against his old side, and he was really good early. Two to Bolter, singles, the rest. Well, just an amazing turnaround, Robin. again, a classic case of momentum. Um, Richmond had it all, and then Brad Crouch bobs up and pulls a gap back to under three goals, Mason Wood another, Ben Long another. Uh, Richmond, oh, don't go
1: through them all. No, no, <laughs> I, I won't.
0: <laughs> wow. uh, Richmond still uh, about a kick ahead at three-quarter time, but uh, just one-way traffic in that last quarter. Um, St Kilda, 10 You've in tou- a row. I'm sorry. You've touched on that...
1: That time in the third quarter, and I'll let you know into what I was thinking, there was a phase of play and even the callers noted it. They said both sides are out on their feet here. The, on the clock, round there was six minutes to go. Mm-hmm. And, the, and they were still, if they weren't 25 up, they were like 19 up. So, and to me, I've made the decision that the Saints are gone. Because I thought the experience factor, having played so many finals, even though there was uh, quite a few young blokes in that side, uh, my gut feeling watching it on telly, the Saints are gone here. They've been magnificent. They've fought. And, and this piece of play went on for about 90 seconds. Did it? Re- I think it resulted in a shot for goal. But you looked around the field and people were on their hands and knees. And from then on, you were right. There was eight unanswered goals, and it was in fact great credit to the St. Kilda Football Club that they were the one that lifted. You talked about Brad Crouch. You talked about him getting three critical clearances. The Saints were running 27 to 7 uncontested balls after this. They won every loose ball. They had energy. I tell you, Higgins started okay, but I tell you what. Talk about energy doesn't long give him some little bit of grunt in the front half. He's got into strife in the past with reports, but he—I don't mind. He's a fine line between good and bad. Not so much his play, but in his actions and his desperation and his energy was critical.
0: Mm. I think uh, Jay Gresham coming yep, back busy. into the mix as yep. a has been important too. Just spreading that midfield load a bit. When you remember. Um, the likes of players have still got out too. I mean, of course, Dan Hanbury barely been a factor the whole time, but Zach Jones as well. Boy, those two would make a difference, wouldn't they? And uh, Hunter Clark and Nick Coffield missing out of that uh, halfback setup as well. So, uh, look, Richmond, plenty of outs, but I'm just making the point there, St Kilda has some key outs as well. The Tigers missing Martin Lambert, Prestia Rewalt Prestia. and Vlosten. I yeah. mean, they're, they're key absentees. However, Rob... It's it. the
1: reason we didn't pick them last week.
0: Yeah.
1: But they came up and no, I, I p- did pick them. Did you pick them?
0: Yeah. You I, asked I, me this I, about four times. I did pick them.
1: I need to go back <laughs> over the tape. Um, it's the reason I didn't pick them. And um,
0: it just, mate,
1: that Achilles heel may have shown today. And don't forget, they lost. I want to make a point in a minute. I'll do it quickly. They lost um, the captain, Grimes. Yeah. With a hamstring. Yep. Yeah. When we talk about momentum and on, why didn't they put Bolter back?
0: Yeah, well, it's, it's an interesting one. I, I was they going did to... it late. They put yeah. him in the ruck.
1: But Dimmer would have known things are changing. Bolton stood, Bolter stood in the goal square and should have been back in the back half playing centre-half back or full-back
0: on King. Yeah, well, they don't have quite the depth they did have, did they? And so with Riewoldt out... I guess it was that, you know, robbing Peter to, to pay Paul type scenario. I've got to admit, I, I felt that watching them in defence at times too. Nathan Broad, look, he's, he's done a reasonable job for the Tigers, but just can be a little bit iffy under pressure sometimes with his disposal. And this is the thing I thought, felt about Richmond when the heat came on today. There was a surety about those Richmond premiership sides of a couple of years back. They knew what to do in a certain situation, even when under pressure. I'm not sensing that now. Um, the young players that have come into the side, they're just they're not as well drilled. The, Richmond that was winning those three premierships in four years were incredibly drilled. Their positioning behind the ball was always A1. Their players knew where to where to go. I remember Kane Lambert saying um, they had a, a mantra was position, not possession. I don't feel like that with Richmond now. I feel like when the pressure comes on, they're not nearly as well organised, and I think that might be another sign that of their greater inexperience, but also that these guys coming into the lineup, they've still got a fair bit to learn.
1: What I liked about um, Hardwick's early game plan today, and I still reckon, I'll go back to Bolter. It was obvious on TV after. St Kilda are a momentum side they're a confident side so after you kick three goals in not much time at all I'm saying three goals is the time to make a move and that was to put make a move I know you this the 666 but I would have put uh bolter into the back line in a permanent position until that momentum but a a good tick we talked about the blokes that are out pressed and these sort of blokes um, he gave Ross a really good go in the midfield. He looked a good player. I liked him. I like young Thompson Dow. He's got a touch of class about him. They gave more midfield time to Bolton to take the pressure off Graham and, um, and Cochin. So it was good that Hardwick has backed some of these kids into key midfield roles, and it may have been to his detriment. So long-term gain, bit of short-term pain because they really did fatigue and get uh, they got ran over the top of.
0: Well, credit to the Saints. Uh, you know, two weeks in a row now they've they've come from down to uh, sweep the opposition away. Max King particularly instrumental in both those wins. Cool. And after a, a pretty lacklustre opening game against Collingwood, uh, they've really turned their season around already and shaping as a fantastic um, game between the Saints. And Hawks at the MCG in round four are uh, revisiting the 1971 Grand Final. <laughs> I love those historical throwbacks. I, I'll give you one tip, Ron. Yep. It won't be played like that. It certainly won't be because as Don tough Scott as that game.
1: is not facing Carl Dittrich across the set <laughs> of That
0: is one of the toughest games in the history oh. of football. Ask Peter Hudson, who was left with half an ear hanging off, as well as being uh, denied. Uh, beating Bob Pratt's goal-kicking record. Just quickly, uh, Richmond, they've got their challenges, uh, starting with the Western Bulldogs next week at the MCG. That should be a corker of a game as well. One game left in Round 9. It was over in Perth, and it was a derby And round three, finished off with the Derby in Perth. Always make sure you say Derby, folks. They get very testy over there if you say Derby, as we do in these parts. However, it's a much-fabled clash of bitter local rivals. Of course, one of the two sides involved West Coast really up against it thanks to COVID, thanks to injuries, thanks to who knows what. They walk under some ladders, cross the path of some black cats, they haven't had a lot of luck. 14 changes uh, in the lead up to round two. 13, I think it was, changes this time. Not the most settled of lineups. And that really was reflected in the outcome of this game, which saw a very, very comfortable win to the Dockers. Final scores, 15-12, 102, defeating the Eagles, 7-5, 47 Um The Dockers really putting the screws on West Coast who were held to just one goal two, come halftime. At that stage, Fremantle already leading by 34 points. A bit of a stalemate in the third quarter and the floodgates opening again in the last with Fremantle kicking six in the last quarter for a very comfortable win. Even while saying that, not ever really going more than 100%. Uh, statistically, not the sort of dominance you might expect a, a scoreline like that to uh, reflect. Inside 50s, yes, the Dockers had the better of them by nine. Uh, West Coast, Nick Natanui dominating the hitouts made little difference to the clearances, though, which Fremantle won handsomely. Uh, and they belted West Coast on the outside today, 183 to 246. The uncontested possessions and marks inside 50, 15 to the Dockers, just six to the Eagles. West Coast really struggling uh, without some core of their defense down there. And it's really hard to have a discussion about any game the Eagles are in at the moment, Rob, without talking about absentees. I had a look at the injury list before. They had 25 players named on their official injury list this week. However, I'd say there's a considerable butt here. When I went ran through the actual outs today, who were the absolute walk-up starts in this game who didn't play? Well, they were Oscar Allen, yes, Tom Barass, uh, Jamie Cripps, Dom Sheed, Elliot Yo, uh, Josh Rotham Probably put him in Tom Cole. Now, yes, I would argue that is a pretty significant What's role. That, call. Seven,
1: seven, you named? Yeah. But, so that's, a, that's a thir- basically a third of your team out, plus the um, unfamiliarity of some replacements. Look, we thought West Coast would slip. The majority of AFL followers and scribes thought they would slip, but we did not think it would be
0: for this reason. Well, my, my point, though, in reading that list of outs, it just made me think West Coast has slipped a fair bit already coming into this season, haven't they? They really don't have that cast of big names and accomplished players that uh, they had. And and remember, it was only two years ago, 2020, when they lost an elimination final. They should have won, probably should have finished top four. But uh, it's really generational change happening now at the Eagles. And unfortunately for them, the COVID business has expedited it.
1: Well, it certainly has, but... uh... It was Fremantle's day, and uh, actually the Eagles. I think it's their lowest score in these encounters. There's been some classic games, and I think 47 points is the lowest score that the Eagles have been able to to mount in one of these encounters. For Fremantle, I just thought individually. I tried to look at the individuals, and I think Schultz, I was really pleased for Will Bro- Brody. He was traded from the Gold Coast big-bodied midfield, hasn't fulfilled his, uh, his potential because he was a dominating schoolboy and, and under 18 at that level. But it was great to see him have the highest number of contested possessions he's had in his career. So what it sometimes does, it gives, it gives players a bit of a boost. They've had a big win. They've had a good win and they got four points. But the beneficiaries to me... Uh, uh, someone like, um, I like the young player, like Schultz, uh, Brody, Switkowski, they're going to get a bit of mileage out of this with their confidence, to have good wins, come to training next week, you're up and about. So I, I looked at some of their younger players that made a bit of a move
0: today, despite the opposition. Incidentally, the uh, important change we didn't mention was in the Fremantle coaching box where Justin Longmuir was kept out of proceedings, again, thanks to COVID protocols and his replacement, Jamie Graham, uh, saluted with a win. So uh, congratulations, Jamie. Just just on that, mate, you know
1: all these sort of things. Is that like a replacement? Is that one game to Jamie Graham? Or is... You understand? Yeah. Or is it... (laughs) You know, sometimes a coach... Who was it? Uh, Oh, it goes down as a game to him. It's no
0: different to... Does it go
1: down to a game to Jamie Graham as that coach?
0: (laughs) Well, Well, it's not going to go down to Justin Longmuir because they didn't coach it. It's no different to the day Peter Schwab, uh, Chris Conley replaced Peter Schwab in the Hawthorne coaches' box.
1: Righto. Okay. So it's where you sit. I thought Voss was still coaching. I thought Longmire was still coaching. So it's... So that's a strange thing for me. So it depends on where you sit. Well, I get, you, get, you get your get point. I yeah. get your
0: point. We'll run it by the statisticians and see what that say. Anyway, I think Jamie Graham will certainly be claiming <laughs> He'll one take it one in one. <laughs> that role. Just a quick observation from me. Uh, yep. I reckon one guy who is a bit of a barometer for Fremantle doesn't necessarily get mentioned as much, but. It seems to me like whenever Matt Taberner fires and kicks goals for him, they are a much better side because they've got some sort of structure and presence up forward. He kicked three today. It's not a cricket score, but just to have a decent target up forward makes a, a big difference to them. Well,
1: and when he's out, you know, he's been out a bit this year, hasn't he? They've really struggled. Um, he's really, really important to them. A little bit like, um, a little bit like Wright at Essendon. All of a sudden, they become critical players, noticeable for, for when they're absent. I liked his game. He was
0: good. Well, uh, no doubt about it. A massive struggle for West Coast at the moment and uh, more struggles to come. You'd suggest it doesn't get any easier for them. In fact, cop this over the next six weeks as uh, the, the next few fixtures. They've got Collingwood at Marvel Stadium. Then they've got Sydney. Then they've got Port Adelaide in Adelaide. Then they've got Richmond. Then they've got Brisbane at the Gabba. And then they've got Melbourne. Wow, that's tough. That is, that's a
1: solid. Uh, that's a solid. That's a solid back six. <laughs> in fact, they have got the Giants
0: and the Bulldogs after that. They're oh God, ra- you can't. You can't look eight. Eight weeks in front. Well, they are a reasonable <laughs> chance to get to the halfway point of a season without a win at this stage. Yeah, I would suggest. Yeah, exactly. who you call, You you
1: called Port Adelaide at that too. They've they've got what do you call them? One and seven.
0: Yeah, or well, potentially. Yeah. Um, well, that this might be the one too. Uh, it's a game played Adelaide. Incidentally, just remembering you tip West Coast uh, today. What what on earth did you do that for?
1: Uh, I tipped them with uh, reasonable confidence. I thought they had. I, I don't want to go through them. I reckon they got six back that I think were really important. Um, I got the Adelaide one, so I, I thought it was a round of upsets. I went with West Coast, so I'm I'm batting fifty. 50-50.
0: No, you've been in superb. Upsets. You've been in superb tipping form, and you're beating me comfortably at the moment. So it's certainly not my place to be <laughs> growing. What, about What, did we, wrong? what oh, did we no, get, Rowan? Oh no, we not talk, yet. We talk about that when we do the tips, and you won't be here to talk. about it. I won't be here, right. righto? But we'll talk about that. Am I going we'll to ab- put my tips in now? Uh no, no, righto. No, we'll discuss it later. I'll email uh, them to you. And that, ladies and gentlemen, was round three. Well, that was the end of the men's uh, weekend of football, but there were two huge games in the AFLW as well, Rob, both on Saturday, the two preliminary finals to determine this year's AFLW grand finalists. We have them now. It will be Adelaide into a fourth grand final, taking on Melbourne, the Demons, in their first AFLW grand final After a thrilling four-point win over Brisbane, the Demons getting home 5-3, 33 over Brisbane, 4-5, 29 at the MCG. The Crows doing it a bit more easily against Fremantle at Adelaide Oval, 6-4, 40, defeating the Dockers 4-2, 26. Well, uh, Brisbane came hard at Melbourne in this one, Rob, but uh, the Demons... They had the uh, they made the best of their opportunities early on, and uh, they set themselves up for victory and hung on in the end. That was despite Taylor Harris being held goalless, but they had great players with Ruckman Lauren Pierce uh, winning some critical hitouts, had fifteen disposals, and uh, also a really important goal for them. Uh, I think the Demons deserve that spot in the grand final. Adelaide though. What a powerhouse they've been in women's football. Fourth grand final. And, um, boy, uh, another flag for them would be icing on the cake. It's been a fantastic era for them.
1: It was a good performance, wasn't it? Because I I saw the Brisbane game the week before and watched it very closely. Gee, they were impressive. They're big, strong and powerful. So for Melbourne to get over the line, you know, we spoke about it last week. I tipped Brisbane based on what I saw. So that's a superb effort to go into their first grand final for Melbourne. Good on them.
0: Yes, um, they have got some star players, some of the best-known players in women's football, playing for either side, really. So it's a game which uh, really has a lot to whet the appetite. It's going to be a ripper, and it will be next Saturday as a curtain-raiser to... uh, No, I don't know what I'm talking about there, Damon. So, sorry, Damon. Just go back to the start of me talking here after Rob talks. Damn it! Um, so some of the best known players in women's football are part of either the Adelaide or Melbourne lineup. So that grand final should be an absolute ripper, and we will give you a full account of it uh, here on the Footyology podcast. And that's it for our round three review. Another great weekend of footy. Um, And this new season, certainly not lacking for quality football or exciting finishes thus far. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope your team got a win. Keep supporting us here on the Footyology podcast. You can uh, chip in, if you will, at the ACAR supporter page on whatever platform you're listening to us right now. Or better still, become an official Footyology patron. At one of the many links provided on the footyology website, footyology.com.au, with a heap of great reading and great viewing on all manner of things, not just football, not just sport, but we do politics, social commentary, movies, music, entertainment, you name it, we do it, it's all there. And it's all free to use, too, I might add. Another reason uh, why I don't feel guilty asking you to put your hand in your pocket and become a footyology patron for just $7 Australian per month via Patreon. Thanks for listening. Um, thanks for your efforts. Rob, you're uh, going away for a week. You won't be with us next week. Yeah, Tell I'll you. be
1: away a week. Um, yeah. Where are Get, you off to? Early, early start to um, – I'm just going away. I Just uh, an early start to school holidays, taking week 10 off, getting away before the school kids head out.
0: Okay, you're off to a mystery location. I think Rob's still loath to give out his location. West, those Adelaide supporters feel <laughs> like scratching his car with the keys. I think <laughs> heading heading through there. We'll be right, mate. <laughs> Just make sure you don't have the Vic plates on. Thanks, um, Ryan. All right, thanks to your company, everyone. I'll be back uh, next week with a uh, temporary, but very able co-host, and I do know who that is, but I'm going to leave it a surprise till we catch up then i